Great. Well, welcome to Dojo Universe, and uh, we have a very special guest today, uh, Robert uh, Pipe Major Robert Matheson. And uh, Rob, if if you don't mind, uh, we've got a track here from Vin. What what album is this from? Uh, this this is from Grace Notes. From Grace Notes, and if you don't mind, maybe we'll just play that to get things warmed up. Okay. Good. Here we go. That was um, that was quite cool. I mean, Rob, can we maybe get started by? Can you tell us a little bit about the Grace Notes album? Was it your first first album? Yeah, um, it's interesting. That's the first time I've heard that track in a long, long time. I don't even remember the, the titles of the tunes. Actually, uh, it was recorded in 1987, uh, which seems a long time ago. <laughs> And interestingly enough, it was done in one and a half days. The the whole album was recorded. No kidding. Which would be, wow. uh, yeah. Uh, in those days, the, the, trying to get the budget to do a, an album with other musicians was quite difficult. It was they were kind of uh, um, treading in new territory there, and the record companies weren't really. Uh, brave enough to say right let's uh, spend the money on this so i had to agree to get, bring in all the musicians and everyone each track was done to a click track a digital click so all the instruments were uh, recorded separately so when i say it was one and a half day there was actually only two hours to do all the piping and i had to go on last 
and and some of the tracks we actually recorded on the practice chanter. If, if we there was, I think there was two tracks where we didn't use a click, and I recorded it with headphones on my practice chanter as a guide for the other instruments, and then I had to go over the top with the pipes afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to slow. It was amazing the things we had to do in those days. We didn't have digital recording, so to get the pitch for the pipes. Uh, we recorded everything at the concert pitch and then speeded up the analogue tape until we hit the, the, the pitch for the pipes and I had to put the earphones on and go on and play with the other instruments. So it was a kind of convoluted route to get the end product, but it actually worked very well. You know, um, At the end of the day, well, I was co- it, it stood the test of time for me, so I was happy enough with that. You know? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think yeah, you know, the tracks on that, that album, I think, you know, even now, Definitely st- hold their own, <laughs> even after a whole history, um, you know, a, a couple of decades of, uh, you know, solo pipers coming out with similar types of albums, you know. Yeah, that's definitely true. Just one housekeeping yeah, thing. Because it was uh, the, you, the um, first album, I suppose. I'm sorry, can you turn on your, your camera, yeah. Rob? Okay. I think yeah, uh, you might have go. to press start sharing. You might have to press start sharing on there in order for it to. Yeah, there you okay, go. Okay, I've got that. Excellent, that's better. And I, I was just gonna, and then I would just add that, yeah, in my experience, click tracks. Um, it sort at the time it sort of seems like maybe uh, it'll take something away from the performance because you're you're tied into that beat, but they always turn out remarkably well, don't they? Yeah, it's a great exercise for any player. I remember uh, when I first tried it. You put the headphones on and, and you soon find out what's wrong with your your uh, the metric side of your playing. You know, um, <laughs> you would swear blind at times that it's going out of sync. You know, <laughs> but once you get used to it, it's very good, and you actually can develop a technique where you can uh, play at the front of the beat or the back of the beat or right in the middle. You will, if you fixate on the on the click, you soon find that you can groove round about it. I mean, it's uh, just like playing along to a very, very steady drummer, and there ain't many of them going around. You know? <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, Rob, let's. Um, that's really, uh, really interesting. I mean, can you can we maybe learn a little bit more about you? Like, um, where where are you where are you from in Scotland? Okay, I was uh, I was originally born in Paisley, which is to the west of Glasgow. Um, I was mainly brought up in the Glasgow area, between Glasgow and a place called Blackburn, which is near Bathgate, about nine miles from Shots, which was all mining villages there. At, at that time, there was a few pipe bands. There was colliery bands. Shots were a colliery band, uh, and Pokemet was a colliery band. Bog Hall was within three miles of us. Terfichin was within five miles of us. You know, so within a very close radius, there was some grade one and grade two bands. There was a big choice of uh, bands to go to, and it was all subs- it was all funded by the the collieries, uh, with the exception of Bog Hall. They they set up in the kind of latter days. Right. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you go from not knowing how to play uh, uh, to becoming, you know, one of the greatest pipe majors ever, like? Can you give us that in a in a condensed form? Like like how does it work? How did it work for you? What was the path that you uh, that you took to get to the point where you are now? Right. Well, how I started on the pipes 
in Scotland, I don't know if they do this over with you guys, but when you're in primary school, towards the end of term, the last two or three days, you're allowed to bring in games and such like, you know, to kind of have a good time the last two or three days. And one of the guys in the classroom brought in a practice chanter. And I had to go in this and thought, oh, I'd like to learn this. I went along to Polkemic Colliery and the, the instructor there was Johnny Barnes, who was the person that taught me uh, all through the piping and, and up to grade one. And uh, he had something like 35 kids in a room playing practice chanter on a Monday night. And I went in and he said he had too many. We need to come back another day. He says, because the project had just started and he says, look, kids will drop off and if there's a space, you'll get in. And I had to go three times before I was accepted into the class that I was learning. And, and, and I discovered during these lessons that you move on there's an actual instrument there, huh? And I thought at that time, I thought, oh, hold on a minute, I'm not sure I want to learn this. Yeah, <laughs> I was quite happy with the chanter. So uh, I, I got lessons there and, and eventually moved into the band, but I was very, very slow in the practice chant. Almost two years and started to lift the first set of pipes. I was very slow. And he had a very, very methodical way of teaching the pipes. So, uh, different from the, the way you teach nowadays, for sure. But once I got onto the pipes, I seemed to move much faster. Uh, but I was slow in the chanter. Interesting. Excellent. We've just so, turned off so our videos, Rob, um, just so that uh, the connection is a little bit better. Okay. But go ahead, so did you, what did, were you saying when you, were, when you were learning, when you were up on the pipes, did they, uh, was that... Um, more of a, a pipe band atmosphere where they were encouraging to play in the band or was there a solo component there where they were encouraging to get on the boards or what was it like? Oh yeah, there was a solo, there was definitely a solo component. I mean, I, I played uh, solidly in the solo circuit uh, as a junior um, and, and it, it was a very hotly contested uh, era then. That was the time there was people like uh, Donald McBride, uh, Robert Barnes, people like that, and, and, and in the band itself we had five or six good solo players. The, the, the novice band that I came through, there were seven pipers plus Johnny that played in the competitions, Johnny Barnes was the pipe major, and of that seven pipers, um, five of us became grade one pipe majors. Interesting. Huh. Wow. Uh, Holy cow. That was, you know, so that was a, a, a big... Uh, a big statistic that David Barnes was one of them who went on to uh, be pipe major for Kemet. Jimmy Drummond was pipe major of uh, Turfican when they went into grade one. Gordon Stafford was an, uh, who took Turfican at a later date uh, was pipe major as well. Um, you know, so it was very, very. It was a good group pipe corps, and we all travelled on block to the, the big competitions in the junior sections. Went to Danoon, you know, went to St Andrews, all these the Madras College contests. They were the big Contests in those days. Yeah, it was very active, and you were encouraged to play. Played Pibroff, played March and Spain Rio, done the whole thing. Really? Was it? What, what do you think? What do you think was the the uh, distinguishing thing about your little, you know, your little sort of area? Was it just sort of uh, a concentration of, of piping in general, or do you think it was something else going on there? To, to have five pipe majors come out of a single program at the same time is kind of kind of interesting. Well, there was there was nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you just get good, I guess. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I even see that nowadays. I mean, I helped set up the North Lanarkshire Schools Piping Programme, founded that, and there's now 120 kids teaching there. But one of the things I noticed when we were trying to uh, recruit kids in is they had so many options. I mean, some of them were uh, into football, into computers, into all sorts of after-school clubs. So to get them to come to the band, you, you were competing with a whole uh, palette of uh, you know, different hobbies and sports. Um, when I was young, it was either the football team, the rugby team, or join the pipe band, and maybe the brass band, but that wasn't as strong in the area I was in. So you, you tended to join it and really get, you, you met your friends there and you were away every Saturday, so it was easy to, to uh, apply yourself to it. Nowadays, I, I think there's maybe too much choice around it. That's why we, the, the current generation, you very often just get people that are passing through. Mm. Um, I even see that now when they get to the grade one stages. I mean, I, I've only actually paid, played in three bands uh, in 40 years. Uh, Pokemic Shots and then just lately uh, SFU. Now, I, I, that kind of profile is gone. I mean, even in good players who enjoy success in the first band they're in, very often nowadays you find young people join the band, win a few prizes, a few competitions, and then uh, move on to another band to try and do the same again. I meet young pipers who are in their 20s who have been in five or six bands at that point, you know, and you think, wow, how many bands have you played in when you're 40? You know, so it's just everybody's passing through. It's just a different uh, outlook now. Really? You find that at the, at the upper levels as well in Scotland, is it where people are just passing oh, through? Yeah. More so, more so on the upper level, because uh, the world's a smaller place now. So these guys that are good players in the upper level, they know they can play anywhere. They can. Uh, I mean, if you'd said to me 20 years ago you'll be playing uh, with SFU in, in, in BC, I would have just thought you're crazy. That's unless I move there, that's just never going to happen. Um, you know, so it's just a different place now. That's really interesting. I, I think you're. I think you're totally. At, at least as far as. Um, I think most of us here today are from the United States. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is convincing people that they want to commit to um, piping over the, the thousands of other possibilities that, that you could choose. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I, th I think that that's one of the big challenges. It's something that I've always wanted to do, but it's because, um, you know, it's because I really like it. But I think other people have other things, and and I think the general culture here is, especially for kids, to be involved in twenty thousand things, you know, um, in a casual way, rather than really committing to, a, mm -hmm. you know, one or two more serious things. And oh yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely. Yeah, I, 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 I see that today with kids, you know. Like yeah, and, and where we are, in, in our local area here, for example, they have an all inclusion. Uh, education policy, which means that if kids want to learn the pipes, um, e even if they just want to learn one tune to, to play a, a burn supper or to play New Year or something, uh, and that's all they want to do, uh, you, you have to offer them full tuition for that, you know, if they decide to take the subject and that's as far as they want to take it. Um, which I found very difficult when, when I started teaching because the way I was brought up, you were tasked to learn the instrument and get to specific levels. Of, you know, you had goals, etc., to get there. And if if you weren't going to make it, somebody told you that you know 
think about something else, try the tenor drum, try the snare, or try the brass band, you know. Uh, nowadays, we tend to have a moving towards a system where you're not allowed to tell the kids they're not going to be very good at the pipes. Um, you're not allowed to select the, the best players as such. And that can, for me, that is very frustrating from a teaching perspective. Um, they, they almost um, discourage you from even indicating to the, the, the pupil that, you know, they're mediocre or below level or whatever. Because teaching methods are different. When I went to learn the practice chanter, Johnny Barnes, if you weren't playing it right, you get wrapped in the knuckles with a chanter. You soon find out uh, you you had to be practicing. You know, that's that's interesting. So um, let me ask you this next. So um, so you came up through this system, and then um, how did you? Where did you develop the skills that you needed to become a a, a great pipe major? Um, like uh, uh, you know, how did that sort of evolve? Um, I was always one for messing about with the reeds and stuff and, and my pipes and, and I was very tonally sensitive even as a youngster if the pipes weren't right I would have them stripped down and mess about with the reeds or get another reed you know so so actually I was self-taught in terms of tuning you know setting chanters and stuff like that uh, originally self-taught um, and would always get to help Johnny Burns and the band as even as a youngster he, he would encourage you but there was a culture then if somebody said uh, you know, how do, how do you fix a, a sharp F? And you say, oh, I'll do that. And, and he turn away and fix it and then take it back to you and not show you what he's doing. Um, so you had to learn with yourself. There, there was no textbooks to tell you how what to do with reads or whatever. Um, that was one of the things that attracted me to go and join shots. Because at that time, the McAllisters were making the uh, McAllister Chanter read. And it was very successful. And Tom McAllister was, really was a master at... Um, setting up a group of pipers uh, and the, when I was asked to go up there as, as a piper in the 70s when I was very young at the time I thought this would be great because I'll get to see this guy working with the pipes and see how he does it and work with the reeds etc and I did learn a lot of band craft um, in shots I learned my actual piping technique and the music in Fulkema but the band craft was in shots I'd go as far as to say that the pipe core we had in Fulkema was um a much better calibre of player across the board than they had in Shots, which Shots were a far better band. And that was uh, very interesting for me to go up there and sit around the table and realise that this great band that was beating everybody at that time, uh, looking around the table, the, the players weren't really up to much from where I was sitting at that time. They were good, solid band players, but they weren't the, the great uh, technicians or great... Uh, great fingers that we, we had in Polkemet but we couldn't beat them as a band so that was interesting to you know that was a, a real opposite for me and I soon learned that tuning the pipes was the answer yeah we I mean we ex we've experienced the same thing in Oran Moore uh, where there are actually you know um, you know I would say that that our strength is more in in how we put together the band as opposed to player for player there are a few quite a few bands here who are probably equivalent or uh, maybe even better than us as far as you know all the individual players are concerned but I think where some bands struggle is in the ability to put it all together into something that 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 really works yeah yeah um, as it developed in shots when I mean when I played in shots it was Tom McAllister had a, a very unusual way of setting the band I mean he, to me he set up a kind of 
He just blended the chanters. It was it wasn't this kind of uh, tuning note for note up and down the scale. He just went for a general blend and, and played a great big uh, drone sound which created a wall round about the circle. But when you were in the circle, there was a lot of tonal discrepancies on the notes. But the way he had it set up, it was so rich harmonically and that kind of pitch that they were playing then and such a robust drone sound that it was very forgiving from the outside of the circle. And he made you spread your drones slightly further apart than they do nowadays so that there was no space between the fibers. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very unusual way to work. That was before the... Uh, the, the Strathclyde police and, and also the big kick up the backside for Scotland was when the 78th Frasers came over and they suddenly produced this clarity and tonality in the chanter uh, that we weren't used to uh, even trying to get. You know, we were going for this big blend. Um, and that kind of changed the way bands started being set up after that. Right, and the Strathclyde police, were they a little bit later or, or that must have been starting to happen, you know, during that era as oh, yeah. well. Oh police were before that. Strathclyde police played a very, very precise um, chanter sound, quite metallic and, and, and a very, uh, how can I put it, not a big drone sound, you know, a very edited drone sound. A lot of them only played two drones in the band. Uh, and, and, it was, it was a, and it was to display this great fingers and very, very tight chanter sound. Whereas the shots had a big blend sound, it was a you must have got a big rough sound, but it had a lot of harmonics. When the when the Frasers came over, um, they actually had a had both. You know, they had a great bass drone sound, uh, good drones, and had a great chanter sound, and that really for me, really kicked it up the backside. And that was actually at the kind of at the time of Grace Notes. Funny enough, I think would it have been eighty seven that the Frasers won? The uh, it was eighty seven, yeah. Yeah, that was the that was first year they won, and. Um, and I think it was was it well, in '86? Was it in '86 that SFU won the piping? I think it may have been as well. So that would have been the time period that. Yeah, that's right. They, I think '86 was maybe at the um, Strathclyde Park. It was a one-off there, and they had a very good pipe sound, a good tone that day. But the Frasers, it was definitely '87. The Frasers, because I remember John Walsh and Livingston and all these guys came over, and I had just released. Grace notes, and it had kind of, you know, opened everybody's eyes because it was probably one of the first kind of albums that was using C naturals and all that cross fingering and that sort of stuff, and, and playing with the other instruments. Um, and I was getting a lot of interest in that. And the the Frasers were over, and they were they were just amazing at that time for me. They were one of the few bands that ha that had really good musical panache. You know, they had a they had a great musical identity in '87 for sure. They, they're just like you know I, and again i'm i'm not i was uh i think three years old at the time but in retrospect for me listening through all that stuff um it seemed to really sort of turn the page with pipe band medleys for sure their performance in 87 and then and then subsequently the live in ireland album i think really sort of uh bands seemed to sort of head in a different more adventurous direction at that point do you think that statement is correct or or do you, do you have maybe a different yeah I, I would say they definitely shook it up you know they, they really uh, gave everybody something to think about um, they were very very musical and they weren't just coming over playing cut and dot tunes you know they were rhythmically they were very good and one of the biggest uh, 
components of that that gave them their identity was Reed Maxwell as leading drummer. He really had a fantastic drive and suited that style of music. His, his drum score really suited that style of music. Right, absolutely. Um, and then so at that point, when you were finished at Shots the first time, you went back and you were pipe major of, of Paul Kemet for a few years or one uh, and you know, uh, I think the yeah, band was yeah, I was, I was, I was there for and the band did very well four too. or five years. Yeah, we managed to get into the the top three. We I think with, with a few seconds as well at championships, we, and we were kind of uh, playing a new type of music over here for Scot Scottish piping. Anyway, we, I was very much into the folk scene at that time, and I was getting tunes from guys that played in bands like the Easy Club, etc. I mean, guys that played on the, the albums that I recorded were the founder members of, of uh, Capper Cayley, the guy on keyboards, um, Donald Shaw, uh, and the bazooki player, and also the uh, the fiddler played in a band called Jock Tamsin's Bairns, and the brand player played in a band called The Easy Club, Jim Sutherland. So I had a great network of friends in the folk music, and they were throwing tunes at me, and I was listening to the way these guys were playing reels and jigs and stuff, so that kind of influenced what I was doing uh, in Polkemet. And in those days, I wasn't really caring, <laughs> quite irresponsible as a pipe major, I, w I wasn't really caring about what people thought about it musically. I liked it, so we were going to do it, you know. Um, as you get older, you kind of feel a bit more responsible towards the band, and you think, well, I really should be playing more towards the prize and, and not as much as, you know, just playing the kind of music I like. But uh, we had a great time in those days, and we did manage to shake it up a little. And I think it had a bit of influence in the way medleys developed after that as well. And I'm sure we went over the top. Uh, um, but I think if you find any art form, when it goes through a phase of change, it has to go over the top first to come back to arrive at something that's worth anything. And that's goes for visual arts right. as, as, as well. Yeah, well, Pokemon was, I would say, rewarded for being a little over the top at that time too. Where I think a band today, even if you s if it's necessary to go over the top, might not get the same reward in return. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, but I would think it's difficult. It's in different eras, but one of the things that Pokemon had. It was it was musical in as much that you could tap your feet to. It wasn't trying to change things in a technical way. It was mainly just the rhythmic interpretation was, was slightly different. We were a bit more folky. The, the reels were a bit looser, a bit more Irish in style, and that kind of thing uh, is not hard to swallow, even for a, a traditionalist. You know, um, I think what's maybe happening now uh, is. Drumming has, I think, drumming has had a big, big influence on piping compositions, and it certainly influenced me a lot the way drumming developed. But you almost feel sometimes that you hear bands playing tunes that are they're more rhythmical patterns than they are melodic patterns, and you won't keep the traditional guys on side if you don't have melody, uh, because if, if they don't hear that, they're not switched on by the the dexterity thing, you know. Um, we have a question from the audience here. What inspired the band, uh, in t uh, this would be Shots, in 2008, uh, to turn around and face the crowd? All right, okay. Uh, one of the things, the I, I was on the music <laughs> board. <laughs> well, to me, it didn't seem over, it caused a bit of a scene, but I, I, I didn't mean it to do that. 
Um, when I was in the music board in those days, we were all we were kind of had a little say in how the music was going, and I felt, and I still do feel, that the the medley is um, harnessed and fenced in by the the two three pairs roles, by the format of how you stand, by you know by suggesting you have to play a march in a particular tempo to open up. I think that curtails the 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 musicality in in any creative way. Um, and the other thing that I was conscious of, the television uh, are now heavily involved in the World of Championships. And I think that if we don't do something visually interesting or change the format visually, uh, we're going to lose the TV media on the event. I, I, I don't have any doubts about that. I remember the, the, the television film, the, the, the British Brass Band competitions. And they they held it for three years and then it was it was dumped because pipe bands are not really in a circle. Pipe bands standing in a circle are not really visually interesting. Once the camera goes up and catches the cheek blowing out and checks the fingers and the the, the foot tapping, after that it's beginning to repeat itself. Now I know they have the big fancy booms and they zoom in from an angle and catch somebody, and, uh, but it is visually fairly stagnant. Uh, and I would so much so that if you weren't in a pipe band, I would bet you that you could put last year's program up and just score out the date, and the public wouldn't notice uh, <laughs> that it's not this year's competition. I mean, that's that's how artistically uh, in interesting it is. Sorry, I was still in the office here. Um, that's how artistically interesting it is. So it's not good. Uh, for the TV, and I think we'll lose that format, uh, and we we really need it to market the, the music. So I was kind of making the statement that it was the only thing I could do was turn around without breaking the rules, and uh, we decided that uh, we would try this. But I never told the band about it until the Thursday before the Worlds, and it wasn't a great year for us anyway. I, I didn't think we were hot favourites to win, so. I th I wouldn't have done it in other years if I thought we were going to be hot favours to win the thing. I just for uh, sorry about this. You're a popular guy, that. Uh, I know, I know. It's because I'm in the office here and it's five o'clock. People think I'm working late. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have done it if I thought that uh, it was going to jeopardise our chances of winning the, the the prize. But I felt. It was one way of recognising the audience, and I was trying to say, look, we're the only, I, I can't think of any other music where you perform with your back to the audience, it seems crazy to me, especially on medley. Um, and to watch the competition, whether it be on television or from the audience point of view, it's it's like watching somebody go through an exam or a, you know, or a test. You're eavesdropping on a band being adjudicated, there's no entertainment value in it at all. And hence, a lot of the music has no performance value. Um, it's all very textbook and very academic, and that stifles the music. So I was just kind of making a wee statement. What do you think the well. alternatives are, though? I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, there's nothing. We can't sort of march in in form in formations where we're spelling letters on the field. I mean, we're we're all sort of standing and playing. You know, what what do you think is more interesting than just the circle? Or even facing the crowd, is it just well, sort of? Well, uh, yeah, but it would depend what type of music you were playing. I mean, for example, a lot of the uh, 
We were quite successful playing hornpipes. We won the Worlds a few times with, with uh, tunes that were kind of aggressive, kind of march pipes. They were hornpipes, but they were marching hornpipes. And they were very rhythmical. Now, my natural instinct for that type of tune, uh, it's mainly a drum tune rather than a pipe tune, uh, my natural instinct would maybe have the drums up the front as you walk in, if, if it's that type of uh, tune, hmm. and have the pipes march through the drums. And I think musically that would be relevant, uh, because to play that style of tune after two three-pace rolls, the two, the two three-pace rolls is just something that's tagged on to, hmm. to give the adjudicator a commonality to measure it. You know, uh, th there's no musical reason for that to be there. I mean, it's originally it was there to, to stop the big cacophony of sounds when all the pipers tried to strike in before we mastered the, you know, better ways of doing that. So, I'm not saying that you should go on and spell out letters and do all that, but if you had a medley that you felt should start with a solo piper, then okay, you do that and bring the, the uh, or if you start with the front rank only and, and build it up, if, if the music right, lends right. itself to that. I don't mean be visual for the sake of being visual, but I would like to take off the harness of the circle. If you want to play the circle, fine. Mm. I would say stand w within a certain area, stand w whichever way you like. Now, that might be with uh, the pipe starting on their own. It might be coming in in two lines. It might be coming in in single file or one pipe. I don't know. Do what you think the music demands. Uh, and it would also give an individuality, a visual individuality to the the general public, as a, they would say, oh, I liked performance number two, you know, the one that stand, started with the one piper and the band kept folded in. At the minute, all the bands look the same, all the tunes are formatted the same, the medleys are almost formatted the same. It's hard enough for us to tell the difference between all the, the, the similar kind of hornpipes uh, that bands strike up with, far less the general public. Hence my comment that you could mm. put the... Uh, last year's world's on and nobody would notice. Yeah, um, I, that's, but, a, that's an excellent point. I remember, I mean, it used to be, um, you know, if you listen to the world's sort of blind, maybe, I don't mean, maybe 15 years ago or more, um, you could tell who was playing just from the from the uh, the musical statement that was being made, you know, the medley or the, the structure of it, or the, um, you could name that yeah. band. And today, I, I mean, I find it too, you sort of listen to a band from last year's world or something, you say, well, who was that again? You know, if, unless you really know the tunes, there's really no distinctive quality a lot of the times to, to the bands, you know, band to band. Um, you have to really, you have to look at the liner notes to see which, which track it is to see who's playing, you know. Because um, there's, really, there's really no yeah, individuality. Yeah, I, I, I would even say that some of the tunes that I hear now, um, and they're, they're very rebellious, some of them, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, no problem with that. I was the same. But we're playing some rhythmical things that, that, that don't they don't read well on, on first listen. You need to hear it quite a few times, and you, it's maybe very cleverly, rhythmically or abstract or whatever, but you think, that is very difficult for me to follow. So sometimes I hear some medleys, and I think, you get the feeling that it's like being on a horse that's trying to throw you off. And you know they're trying to you're, they're trying to lose the listener. It's hmm. just being too clever <coughs> um, for, for the sake of it. And I think some of that comes from the fact that we stand in a circle. We're back to the audience because we've nothing, we've no performance ele element to offer, other than be clever with the fingers and try and attract your attention by doing something dazzling. 
Well, you, I mean, you've um, now you've had some experience playing with SFU on stage, um, and we've and we've talked about that some of that here uh, on the <coughs> Universe too. Is uh, you know the, the experience of playing in a concert versus playing in competition, and you know what that requires of you as a player and and whatnot. I mean, do you think do you think there's like a different skill set um, that needs to be developed for that kind of visual or sort of performance aspect that would shake things up, or is it you know because there's a certain amount of um, there's a certain mindset just sit standing there in a circle and playing facing your <coughs> facing your band. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> but uh there's you know there's a certain there's a certain mindset for people <coughs> standing in a circle. I mean there's and I'm sure there's a different one when you're on stage where you've got different components maybe solo pipers and then there's some you know timing aspects to you know different different parts of the section coming in and and things like that. I mean do you think that's a, a required element for bands to develop? if that's to happen? Well, I think um, you hear Piper saying when you hear they play certain tunes, they say, oh, I didn't like that. It was okay. This is a common phrase. They'll say, it was okay for concert work, but I'm not sure it's appropriate for a competition. Now, that comment, I don't understand it, to be honest. You don't any have any other musicians. When you hear a singer, you don't kind of say, "Oh, that was really nice." But can you do something that you would sing in a competition, not something would play to entertain or sing to entertain? Um, I think there should be an entertainment element uh, in any kind of performance in music, and I think we have let that slip a little bit. We're almost playing music for musicians. Um, the type of pipers we're playing now is, is pipers trying to impress pipers. Uh, and I think that is where the whole thing becomes very kind of elitist and introverted and, and you lose the general public in that. And I don't think that's healthy for any kind of music. So yeah, the skill set you need for a concert is uh, similar. It's much freer, but I think there's somewhere in the middle that we, we could do both. Yeah, cause, because um, a, lot of, a lot of bands, I mean, I, I was going to, you know, what, you know, the, we have a lot of bands here, especially in the eastern United States, where they're, you know, their biggest uh, effort is really focused on competition, as it is right now, you know. So, I mean, what do you think, what do you think is some of the things that they can do to sort of be successful in, I guess, the way the format is currently? It, what do you mean, bands coming over to Scotland? No, I mean, bands in general, like just your sort of... Uh, up-and-coming, maybe grade three, grade four band that's really trying to sort of... I mean, we, we talk a lot about the performance aspects and, and, and you know, increasing the interest and stuff, but a lot of bands here, their their main focus is just trying to get through <laughs> their 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 medley contest on a Saturday here at the games. Um, what do you think some of the things that they can do to be successful? Yeah, I guess... Uh, well... Yep. Yeah, we'll just... Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're just shifting gears a little bit, Rob, because I know, um, you know... Uh, time is limited, but but uh, yeah. So I guess to translate, I think you know what what's your what's your top advice to bands who are trying to you know try to move forward and to get better and to be successful? Like, what are some of the what are some of the key things to your mind um, in order to uh, in order to to do that? Well, in the lower grades, it's a it's a different criteria entirely. In, in the lower grades, if your objective is is to win prizes. Uh, in the lower grades, it's relatively simple. 
get a sound and play something that's melodic, something that you can tap your feet to, and it, it's as simple as that. If and something that's easy to play. You you won't get rewarded for playing something that's very difficult and 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 it's there, therefore musically a bit laboured uh, in the lower grades. I I've judged the lower grades and when you hear band after band after band, they all have kind of have the same kind of thing wrong. Um, there's a sameness about the whole thing, especially in Scotland, but there's a limited number of tunes that they can play. <coughs> so, but if somebody strikes up and they have a solid tone and the thing's flowing well and you tap your feet, you go for it. And you'll be, it's human nature to be very forgiving about anything that's technically wrong if there's good tone and good swing. We have this thing here, Rob, um, in uh, in the eastern United States, and definitely it it was existing in uh, British Columbia a little bit too. The idea that um, you shouldn't really count uh, musical sound or tuning in a result for lower grades, and uh, that sort of counteracts what you're saying, I think. In that um, you know, and I agree with you 100% that one of the top things you should do in a lower grade band is focus on getting um, you know a good, rich, reasonably well tuned sound. But I think a lot of people kind of skip it almost because it's not technically what the judges are supposed to be looking for. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's rubbish. <laughs> uh, I think that if you don't have tone, you don't have any music, so it doesn't matter how good your playing is. And, and I don't mean it doesn't need to be excellent tone, but it needs to be relatively balanced and a relatively clean chanter sound. If you have that, then you have a chance. If you don't have that, I could listen to a piper all night and a good bagpipe. A mediocre piper. I could listen to them all night. I couldn't listen to a great piper for an hour on a great on a poor bagpipe. No matter how good his fingering was and how good his uh, phrasing and music was, if the pipe was rubbish, I, I just can't listen to it. Yeah, the I, same I, goes for bands. So... Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I think I think that's that can be the culture among bands of various levels and soloists is, um, you know, let's let's put on a canister bag so nothing can get wet, and uh, you know, bring out the Korg tuners so that the notes are somewhere in the ballpark. But then when they they go out, um, they're not producing a, a decent sound, you know, and and I think that sensitivity is being lost, um, and. Um, and why I do you think, think that is? Why, why do you think it's so elusive? You know, if it's so simple, you know, why is it so elusive to a lot of these bands? I mean, is it just a mindset, or is it... Um, well, I also know. think the judges don't really comment on sound. I think that's a really strange thing. And I know they do in Scotland. It's it's so refreshing when Oren Moore arrives in Scotland and, and they give us a good, you know, good feedback on the sound. It's almost the first, it's almost the most important thing. Uh, whereas we don't get that here, and I think... If you know, if there's one thing I take away from what you just said, Rob, it's that we need to be we need to be working towards getting a better sound, sort of across the board. That needs to be a higher priority. Yeah, because it's relative to the playing as well. The one thing I know, I've taught a lot of lower grade bands. Um, I remember at one time I was teaching the the D side ladies, and we took them. They won the, every championship in grade three and eventually were upgraded to grade two and won Cowell grade two. Now, they had a very, very poor uh, level of individual piper in the band. But as soon as we got a sound, 
as soon as you get half a tone out of them, the playing moved from here to here. So, uh, but your playing won't, if, if the sound is bad, you can only tell, generally, you can see, yeah, there's some good pipers in there, but the sound is hellish. You know, it's not going to get any better. Uh, but you can take mediocre pipers and make them sound good if you give them a tone. <coughs> but you will naturally yeah. play a lot better. I, th I think that's right. I think uh, I think people, especially people in pipers, I mean, we, we love the music, and I think we're naturally hardwired to sort of respond to it. And I think if it's uh, if it's all fitting together when it comes to the sound, I mean, you, you respond to that, and you play better, and, you know, you, you sort of kick your own abilities up a little, a couple of notches, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange kind of music piping. I mean, it's almost like the, the essence of the music is, is considered the, the the technical embellishments, which kind of be the case. You get people that play from here and instead of playing from here. Uh, if, if there's no good phrasing and note values in music, it doesn't matter how good the toilets are or how good the throw Ds and whatever is, you know, how great the finger is. you still got to be able to... Uh, deliver the music and if you hear something played musically with a good tone your ear will, will forgive a few technical things but if you hear something uh, where the tone is bad and there's no tone to home in on you'll start to really as an adjudicator you'll start to really home in on the, the technical aspects that are rough and, and really start to slaughter it that's just human nature yeah I, th I think that's um I think that's really, you know, that's, you know, really insightful. We have a question here from the audience. Um, Adam Quinn from Florida. Um, from an ensemble perspective. <laughs> from an ensemble perspective, how do you feel about introducing... Yeah, go ahead, Rob. You can read that if you'd like. Instrumentation into a medley competition environment. For example, the tri-tone drums that Gordon Flynn played at the B&B 40 concert drum salute. Is there a future for it, or is it exclusive for concerts only? Um, <coughs> the problem with introducing other instruments is where do you stop? Uh, they do this in Brittany, um, where you're allowed yeah. additional percussion at the at the championships. The Breton bands are allowed this, uh, and and they seem to be very creatively progressive in, in their music, and I love their music and what they do. But even then, they now argue about. The, the amount they have, so they had one time they had silly rules saying you can you're allowed so many seconds of um, additional percussion, but how do you do that when a guy goes like that on a cymbal? Is that one second, or if he does it again, do you count from that? You know, do you count the whole time? Uh, and they started arguing about all this, so it's very very difficult to open it up to that degree and still uh, and make it a level playing field in the in competitions my gut feel would would say I, if I was at the top table I wouldn't allow it because um, I think it would open up the gates for a lot of bands who hadn't yet mastered the main instruments in the band would start throwing in all these other instruments and the thing would become a wee bit uh, cheap and nasty that would be my fear I know I'm, I'm very much uh, like to hear other, other instruments with the pipes and when it's done well it's excellent but I don't think the masses and pipe bands could cope with it and deliver it well. I don't think it would help our overall movement. So I would say no. But that's just me. Yeah, Maybe that's I'm getting uh, old. <laughs>
I think I have to agree to you, and I have to agree with you. And and um, would you say also that that the general structure of you know, so it's a little bit different. I mean, the, the general structure of a medley should the medley have to demonstrate some aptitude in in some of the traditional idioms, or or do you reserve that for the MSR? Or um... well, that's interesting. I mean, if if it was me, I would to make it more imaginative, and, and again from a commercial point of view, at the minute we are uh, we hear the same medley again year after year. And you, sometimes if you buy the, the, the CD from the world, you're hearing the same uh, performance that you you know that was on last year's world. I would say that uh, you shouldn't be allowed to repeat your medley the following year as a starting point. <coughs> I would also suggest that each year you could have a theme and tell the bands what the theme is and allow them to go into develop the medley with that. When I say a theme, I'm a very general thing. That's really um, interesting, yeah. You could, for example, say, right, okay, you could say, right, this year, um, to try and keep some kind of commonality thread throughout all the medleys, how about we say you have to include two Donald McLeod tunes or two G.S. McLennan tunes? Or if there's a general feeling uh, over the years, if the music board felt that Strathspey playing was we were losing the art of Strathbay going, okay, let's have a year where we say, right, the theme is dance and you must include six parts of Strathspay somewhere in the medley. You know, so, that, so that you're actually giving them a task each year, mm-hmm. um, a musical task, but but the actual, uh, the remit for doing that would be based on something you want to, to be seen, to develop, or just to make the thing more entertaining and change it from last year. Uh, yeah. th- that's I mean, that really speaks to what you said before too to me, about that, that creating more interest musically. You know, you could expand the theme even further and go yeah. into you know bigger topics, and, and each band has an opportunity to create an individual statement. You know, on that topic. So, and what do you think about um, just random Absolutely. thought? A random thought that I'm just thinking of now. But what do you think about prohibiting certain tunes in MSR contests? You know, tunes that are becoming overplayed or or something like that. You know, um, do you like a lot of people express that they get tired of Lord Alexander Kennedy and Highland Wedding and Donald Cameron? Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, uh, yeah. Again, you could do that by saying I mean, there's a there's a solo competition over here which is called the Willie Ferguson competition where you actually have to play one of his marches, and, and, and he's written some great marches, but. Uh, so again, you, you could cover that by what I was suggesting, by having a theme, by saying that you know uh, you need to play a, a John McClellan tune, or, a, a or maybe even something tune. composed in the last ten years or something, even too. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, or maybe play two marches, one one in that element, and then go on to your other one. But I, I think I don't have a problem playing uh, tunes like Highland Wedding, and because because they're great band tunes. Uh, but I do have a problem hearing it every single year. I have sympathy for the listeners who are fed up of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, another question. Um, do you? Th- this is kind of interesting. And um, Do you feel less stress um, no longer being a pipe major and instead, uh, uh, you know, playing with, with a band like SFU? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I found it more difficult to play with SFU. Because, personally speaking, because I, I've had uh, 
30 odd years of playing tunes that I have selected and, and, and uh, the, the actual settings would be edited by myself and so, so in other words they would naturally suit me I've never ever had to sit down for a long long time and learn someone else's scores and interpretations of tunes so that was very difficult for me and, and I actually uh, hats off to all the pipers that uh, have had to do it for me over the years I realised what I was asking now because and if I played a tune through in the past when I was pipe major and there was a bit in the tune which I didn't think was good enough or didn't flow as well or whatever, I might change it for the drum score, I just changed it. I can't do that in SFU, I've got, I'm just one of the players, you know, so uh, I find that very, very difficult. Not difficult, but it was it was quite a hard task. You know? I think there's it's different too. I mean, I, I too have, I've experienced this in the opposite direction. Um, you know, I, I felt a lot more stress as a playing member than I do as a leader. I I don't know if you feel the same way, Rob, but, but um, yeah, know, I, I think I do. It, it, it was easier when the, if you've done, as a pipe major, if you've done your homework as a band uh, and, and you've, you've had good winter's practice and the band's going well, once you get the sound, okay, you might have go through a bit of stress in, in that kind of half hour period when you're trying to get the sound. But once you get the sound, the, the band, it's like a warm blanket or a warm jacket you just put on when you go into play and there's nothing better than that than leading the band on when it's going really well and, and you've set it up uh, I'd say it's more difficult being a player yeah there's also for me there's also that uh, as a playing member there's also that for me I, I felt a really strong uh, you know or I felt a lot of stress in regards to whether or not I would play at, at a high enough standard to to sort of uh, help realize Terry's vision and, and the other people around you as well. It's a different phenomenon. It's a different feeling, um, you know, as a playing member than it is, you know, sort of in the opposite role. Yeah, and, and that was even more difficult for me in as much that I was going into a totally new gene pool in terms of piping uh, because they play slightly different. The chassis are slightly different. The jigs are slightly different. Um, even the terminology and words of command, there was times I'm thinking, what did he just say? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and the hand signals. The language barrier as well. Yeah, the hand signals. You know, so, 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 so that increased the, the, the tension for me a little bit. But once, it's like anything else, once the pipes are up, I didn't have any problem getting the pipes going to the sound that they wanted. Um, but just being on the ball and watching and, everything, and the way they do things and the run up, the first season, you know, it took a bit while to settle in, but after that, it was fine. Uh, but you ju you just have to realise you do it the, the SFU way. You don't do it the way you would do it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Rob, I think we should uh, call it in there. I I, uh, I thank you very much for staying the full hour with us and sharing your thoughts. No and problem. Enjoyed it. Everything like that, and uh, uh, you know, I really appreciate all that you you know all that you've been doing at Dojo U as well. I mean, your class. Your classes have quite literally blown my mind um, the past four weeks, and um, and uh, so I, I highly recommend people check that check those out. They're up in our archives, and and uh, yeah, generally just thanks very much. And I guess you'll be back on for a week or two more at Dojo U. Yeah, I'll be back and keep up the good work. I think this is a fantastic uh, facility that you've got going here. I wish it was around when I was learning the pipes. Well, thank you very much. We. Uh, 
we're, for we're doing our best to uh, to make it a good thing. And uh, yeah, generally, I guess uh, I guess that's it. We will see everybody uh, next week at the same time. Except for you, Rob. Okay, great. The, 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 incidentally, the topic that I'm going to be doing next week, and uh, Andrew, is uh, two four marches. Oh, excellent. Well, that'll be good. Uh, it'll be good to hear your your uh, thoughts on that. So, we'll see everybody. See everybody later. Okay. Thanks okay. everyone for listening in. All the best. Bye.